Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. Today we dig into the world as we know it, warts and all. Religious freedom is a complex animal and faces a very dangerous enemy. But as Christians, we believe that good will prevail eventually. Let's talk with Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, about some of the issues we're facing and how God's hand is evident even when the picture seems cloudy. Lincoln, let's begin close to home. The state of Alabama enacted an immigration enforcement law considered to be the toughest in the nation. Opposition has been fierce. Does this new law and any such law violate citizens' religious freedom? What's your take on that? Well, on on the face of it, I'd say no. And that would probably shock and surprise a few people (laughs) because the Roman Catholic Church particularly have made huge noises about the the, the religious situation of this. Mm -hmm. And we know that their agenda is really to uh, steer the Catholic electorate in certain directions. Hmm. And so it appeals to the uh, moral indignation of certain groups and would suggest to them that one party rather than the other is going to be more favorable to their general interests. Mm -hmm. But, you know, all of that's true, and all of that is part of the real dynamic of voting. But I am at a great loss to see how any of these immigration laws, narrowly speaking, are religious liberty laws per se or how have a direct influence because for it to be religious liberty you would have to suggest that in some way this treatment or mistreatment is because of their religious viewpoint and that's just not the case i don't think even the most bigoted use a cliche redneck mm-hmm. type individual mm-hmm. is picking on that person or wants them out of the country because of their religion mm-hmm. it may well be because of their color or their ethnicity it's not because of their religion mm-hmm. Uh, but as I said before, certain support groups, particularly the Catholic Church and some other uh, evangelical religious activists, have taken up their case because of their religious sensibilities, their own. It's just a stretch to show that the, these people's religion has caused the, the uh, reaction or that when they're uh, detained or in the process of being deported or even if it was suggested they be deported, that their religion plays a role in their treatment or that they're selected because of their religion. That's just not the case. You have made a case many times on this program about how many peoples of this world, how many cultural societies of this world are based on religion. It's hard to separate that, Lincoln. If our country says, no, you can't, if you're from country XY, and all everybody in country XY is a Muslim, or everybody in country XY is a Catholic, if we say, I'm sorry, people in XY cannot come to this country, it's very easy for us, very easy for us to say, it's because of they're Catholic or because they're Muslim. And there's no question that, that with uh, some Muslim countries at the moment, you can suggest that, because with the after effects of uh, the the Iraq invasion, the U.S. is clearly restricting immigration from Iraq because of a fear uh, that such a person might have an Islamic, Mm -hmm. well, an Islamist agenda with jihad intentions. Yes, in that case, I think you could make a bit of an argument, but I don't see where it is in in the Mexican immigrants. Now, it's not always absent in, in such situations because we know that the objections up to 100 years ago in the U.S. to the Irish immigrants 
was anti-Catholic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it probably uh, started because they were poor uh, immigrants starting on the social and economical ladder and uh, economic ladder, and they were stealing jobs from working class indigent Americans. Mm-hmm. But uh, once the antagonism set in, it was very focused on their Catholicity. Yeah, Catholicity, very good. Uh, we're way beyond that now. And as Rick Santorum uh, pointed out in the primaries, you know, Protestantism is sort of absent in America. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you can easily show that viscerally and automatically people from a Catholic country are under the frown of the population here generally. That's, you know, it's not acceptable with most people. Mm-hmm. What it is, I think, is, is a uh, racial bias. Mm-hmm. They're seen as, as, as non-Anglo by too many of the, uh, of, of the voters, and they're seen as a direct threat to uh, livelihood. I just do not believe that religion is playing a role here. And, uh, you know, that was why it was on our website to discuss this. Yes. And people have weighed in on both sides of it. Uh, it's, it's a matter of social justice, I think. Mm. Uh, not that anyone has an innate uh, right to, to come to the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's where the argument begins, I think. You know, does someone who, who came here uh, illegally have a right to stay here just because they made it? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can argue the pros and cons of the law and so on. But just as an essential moral point, no, every country has the right to uh, maintain its borders and to determine its population. Just because it's better in one country than another, that gives no right to citizens of another country to come flooding in and then object if they're uh, not welcomed as much as they would want. Uh, And and in fairness, the U.S. still has a fairly open policy uh, of accepting immigrants from all over the world. It's not as gratuitous as it once was during the Cold War. And I think I may have mentioned it on this program before. We have to face the reality that the U.S., first of all, is an immigrant nation, just like Australia, where I once came from. Yes. Uh, so, so we, you know, we can't exclude somebody just because they're from someone else. We're all from somewhere else mm-hmm. in origin, mm-hmm. except the Native Americans, who are largely forgotten. Also, we need to recognize, which I think America has become tone deaf on, that it has changed. Since the Cold War, we have not become as welcoming. Mm -hmm. During the Cold War, which was expressed by uh, uh, many leaders in the United States as a war of of Christianity and, Mm -hmm. and Western values against godless communism, and, you know, it was largely true, but we, we overdefined that. And so to show up godless communism, we we would take anybody and everyone that would come here because this was proving our point. We were saving them. Right. With communism over, we don't need to prove a moral point. And and the United States is becoming more uh, protectionist on every level. And it does not have the same welcoming arms that we had then. Now you're on the quota. uh, You have to go through procedures. We don't want you automatically. Well, you know, that's partly explainable. I, you know, I, I, I'm not so much damning the United States by it, but we need to recognize it. The U.S. is not so welcoming. We have our own troubles here now. And so this argument now on, on illegal immigrants has huge social ramifications. And many people see it as, as tied up to our own economic well-being to restrict them, get rid of them. If you're a right-wing Republican, many people seem to bought into the idea we somehow need to purge ourselves of these... Uh, uh, unwelcome guests and and not happy with the president who uh, ironically has deported more uh, in his uh, four years than the previous four years 
but at the same time express some charity towards them, especially the, the children of illegal immigrants. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, there's matters of social justice and of applied Christianity, in my view, or, or if you're a, a secularist, of, of just treating people humanely. Mm-hmm. But I do not believe it, it can be easily structured as a religious liberty issue. You know, if there is a failing in this that has anything to do with religion, if we are keeping people out for cultural reasons or societal reasons or for a prejudice of some sort or the wrong color of skin, it's not their religion that's failing, it's ours. We as a nation need to be welcoming of all people on that level. And if we're not, we are failing to be the proper children of God. We are failing to take advantage of the fact that we are Christian and we should have a Christian attitude Absolutely. toward this you, thing. You picked out very nicely what I was trying to imply. Yes. <laughs> stated it plainly. You know, a, a nation has a, a, an obligation to administer itself according to legal uh, necessity. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's a legal operation. But I would hope that, that America shows practical Christianity in all of its dealings. And this is one area that Christian charity should be applied, mm. even if we uh, still deport some people and if we uh, build... Well, the fence bothers me. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth remembering. Uh, I often go back to World War Two, but, you know, World War Two there was... There was uh, Switzerland sitting there next to uh, Germany, Austria, mm-hmm. and, and a bunch of occupied or Axis countries. And uh, people always flooded across the border, even though it was, they were armed to the teeth and you'd be shot on sight by uh, some authorities to try to get to Switzerland. If people have a will, you can't uh, yeah. seal a border. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's a sign of, of, of desperation, perhaps even of bigotry to do that. But it's reasonable to be vigilant about it and to have laws that, that monitor and, and regulate the, the interchange of people. Because, you know, people forget, you know, it's one thing to be wetbacks, but a, a very large number of the illegals are people that came in on holiday or regular visas and just stay. So you can't build a wall or a formal wall against those people. Liberty Magazine editorial, Lincoln Steed wrote, A religious community not willing to extend to others the rights they demand for themselves is not at all helpful for religious freedom. We must not confuse faith with wishful thinking. We must hold up the increasingly counterintuitive banner of religious freedom. It can be a revolutionary banner if adopted. For more insights, visit libertymagazine.org. We're talking with Lincoln Steed today, editor of Liberty Magazine. Our topic is varied. We're mentioning those issues. We're looking at those issues in the world today that uh, we need to examine closely. 
some of them have religious liberty overtones, and uh, Lincoln has mentioned that the immigration law doesn't seem to be one of those in many cases. doesn't seem to be one of those. Uh, it can be in some, but in most cases, as he's talking here, most of the today, since the Cold War has ended, and uh, we are no longer become the welcoming arms uh, to save the souls of communists everywhere. We seem to be tightening our borders and not quite as interested in bringing people into this country as we have been in the past. Lincoln, let's move on to Italy right now. This is a topic that is of interest and is continuing in different places around the world. The Italian parliament recently approved a draft law banning women from wearing veils that cover their faces in public. Now, some would cry religious liberty, religious freedom. My religion asks me to wear a burqa. It asks me to cover my face. If you are telling me I cannot do that, you are telling me I cannot be the religious person I need to be. Is there validity on both sides in this issue? Well, even as, maybe it's the way you expressed it. I had a sudden image of a Roman Catholic nun with the full, yes. full yes. headdress. <laughs> it almost sounds like rather threatening toward... Yes. Uh, the Catholic Church in Italy. Yes. <laughs> and and that is part of the irony that Italy, which is the home to the Roman Catholic Church in, in Rome, and of course Vatican City is, is a sovereign state, thanks to Benito Mussolini, mm-hmm. uh, a few uh, acres there in downtown Rome. Mm-hmm. But Italy, of course, is largely Roman Catholic. And yet so often since World War II, the Italian government has taken a very contrarian view and at times even a an anti-church, even uh, anti-Western view, uh, socialists. And, you know, we just had the election in the U.S. and President, continuing Obama, mm-hmm. is, is regularly vilified by uh, a certain faction as being a socialist. I mean, people in this country don't know what a socialist <laughs> is, but if you want to find a socialist, go to Italy. <laughs> I mean, the, the party there that has been the, the leading party for a long time is Christian socialists. Yes. And, and it's socialism, big time. And it's ironic that it ex- coexists with uh, this Roman Catholic influence. But yes, from a religious liberty point of view, and we do have a clear enough religious liberty uh, conflict here mm-hmm. with this, this anti-Burka or head covering law, mm-hmm. you've got to be careful because clearly to Muslims, this is part and parcel of their religious sure. expression. Sure. I'm not sure. And I'm just thinking back. I've read the Quran uh, a couple of times fairly carefully. And I think that the Quran is pretty much like uh, Paul's injunctions in, 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 in his writing, you know, that he, women's heads should be covered in church. But, you know, this is sort of his feeling, not mm-hmm. the Lord's. Mm-hmm. And I think the burqa and, and, and such uh, social habits that accompany Islam are less Quranic than uh, cultural that have been expressed through uh, hadiths, the, the ancillary writings of Islam. But the, the end result is millions, in fact, hundreds of millions of Muslims around the world see this as part of their religious culture and expression. So for this, such a law to come up is is rather uh, calculated to, to inflame religious sensibilities. Mm-hmm. So you think it is a religious liberty issue, but isn't it also a protection issue? Isn't it also oh, a way for as... us to make sure that nobody is hiding anything there when they walk into the room? Well, I think it's a huge problem, uh, practically speaking. And, and I think on this radio program, uh, I explained a story or, or retold a story that happened or that I observed when I was back in Australia only about a year ago. Mm-hmm. I saw on television that a Muslim convert, an Australian or an Anglo-Australian uh, woman who had converted to Islam mm-hmm. in a full burqa, <laughs> 
was uh, driving along and speeding and the policeman pulled her over and it was all on police camera. And uh, he asked her to uh, give him the driver's license, which she did. And then he says, you know, how do I know this is you? And she she badmouthed him quite a bit, which is odd for a religionist, and uh, refused to take off the, the burqa. So he arrested her. And ironically... She was exonerated by the judge because it couldn't be proven that it was she was the same woman that he arrested because <laughs> oh, he couldn't see her. So, I mean, which underscores that you've got a serious practical issue in a modern society yeah. where you need to identify people. Yeah. You know, this is a difficult thing to unravel in the needs of a modern society and yet the need to protect the integrity of, uh, of people's faith expression. What we know underlies this Italian thing. It's the same as anti-mosque laws in Switzerland, as any number of laws in Germany. I'm trying to think of some of the other countries. But all of Europe is going through this. They are feeling culturally threatened Mm -hmm. by uh, large numbers of immigrants, mostly Turkish, mostly Muslim. And in England, a lot of Pakistani Muslims as well. And, And they feel under cultural threat. Well, the culture is not just... You know, whether it's meat and potatoes or, or dal and something else, the culture is religious uh, uh, sensibilities. Mm. And, and these new immigrants are aggressively proprietary in their, their Islamist views, which is fine. I mean, as far as you, you would want someone to be true to their religion, but they're truer to their religion than the indigenous Italians, Catholics or the, yes. the Protestants in England. And so it's creating huge pressures. And this is symptomatic of one way that the society through their legislatures are trying to deal with it. I'm afraid that it's not going to turn out well. What has changed? Lincoln, you and I have been around a long time. We've done some traveling back when we were young. It used to be that everyone, when I say everyone, I mean a lot of people, a lot of people wanted to come to America and they wanted to look like Americans, they wanted to sound like Americans, they wanted to smell like Americans. When they left their culture and became Americanized, that was, that was, they were proud of that. They, they wore their suits and they did away with all these costumes and things and all these uh, traditional things that they, they wore. Now they come to this country and they say, okay, I'm going to be an American, I want to live in America, but I want to look like I'm living back in the country I came from. I want my society my culture to be intact only in this new location called America. This is new. This has only happened in our generation. What's going on, and why is that happening? Well, I'm a bit of a contrarian, and as you say that, I live in Hagerstown, Maryland. I'm I'm actually sitting in an office in Silver Spring, Maryland. I live a little further north in Hagerstown. It's only half an hour's drive north of me up to Gettysburg and, and then up to Lancaster, and there's people there driving around in horse and buggy, dressed like they came out of the, yes, the 1700s. Yes, so true. I'm not really sure what you're saying is... Was, no, I'm talking about people from true. other countries. I mean, you, you, if you look at photographs well, from, from the Germany. 20s and 30s, Germany. you're not going to see what, burkas in old black and white pictures and movies. You're not going to see that here. Well, two things have happened. First of all, we now know... Well, I better be careful. We, you know, we're not in, innately uh, against uh, Islam. But since 9-11, we've identified an enemy as radical Islam. So people now have a focused paranoia. Then as well as that, we have indeed seen a resurgence of radical Islam. uh, I I don't know when to date it by. It really doesn't date from 9-11. I think it's sort of spun off from from the Palestine Liberation Organization and their their global terrorism and the, the issues of the Palestinians and and, uh, and then, then we kick-started it by uh, uh, helping the Mujahideen, or actually more than helping, 
organizing the Mujahideen yes. to, to, to attack uh, and inciting them to attack mm. the Russians. So the end result is the genie's out of the bottle. We have religious activism, mm. which periodically has happened with all religions. It's not unique to Islam, but we are seeing a, a phase of a, a resurgent, rebellious Islam, if you like, because it's reacting against the, the West. Mm. And, and you're, you're right in a certain point that, that I think in, in previous decades, certainly in our lifetimes, people coming to America in particular as the epitome of the Western uh, dream, if you like, of, of capitalism and consumerism, they saw this as sort of an ideal and they would come and they would sort of become like that Blend rather in. than yes, yes. trying to bring what they had with them. What I think has happened, and a few people argue with me, I can't say that everybody I say this to agrees with me, but I believe, and I can give chapter and verse on some of it, that American capitalism is discredited in much of the world today. Mm. We, we misread what's happening. For example, China, we look and see a, a hybrid, uh, seemingly capitalist system, but that doesn't mean that they're trying to emulate the U.S. That's their own version mm -hmm, of it. Mm -hmm. I really believe that over several administrations, most particularly the Bush administration, a lot of the traditional uh, attitudes and goals of the United States have become uh, abhorrent to other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. and, and I do believe that with the 2008 economic collapse globally, the model of economic activity that the U.S. best exemplifies with uh, uh, investments and factories and, you know, the whole structure. It's, it's mm -hmm. not just business. It is capitalism. People don't understand the difference between capitalism and mercantile activity. Capitalism... In some ways, there's a bubble that exists on exploiting other reserves to your mm. advantage. It, it, it exists on, on, on futures rather than reality. And, and, it, and it can be, if it's not well monitored, a very abusive system, especially away from the center of capitalism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that there's a certain disillusionment set in. Uh, I don't think it's all over, and, and if you're uh, nonpartisan enough to look honestly at it, I think President Obama is at least in a public relations sense healed a lot of the problem in this regard. But the facts are it's a slightly different model. People don't want to totally become American because let's look at it from a, an outsider's point of view. It means that you, you have to go into consumerist mentality that mm -hmm. is not working very well for America right now. That's and true. That's sort true. of said... Uh, is more and more seen as other countries as antithetical to their own identity. It's, it's identity. consumerism at all costs, and that seems to be the problem. Right. Yeah. Then as well as that, the voters progressively showing they'll vote for gay marriage and so on, but in most other countries that's seen as a sign of social corruption. Mm -hmm. So that they see that those bad elements come with it, mm -hmm. part of it. And, and so when, when uh, not just Osama bin Laden, but whole countries in the Middle East most particularly, let's say, Iran, because they use this term, say, the great Satan. Mm -hmm. They know what that means. Not that they're opposed to America per se or Americans, but we stand for a, a hugely immoral social model. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's this same innate draw. Obviously, on the most visceral, simple level, a peasant in India, if he uh, had that choice per se, would rather be you know, a middle-class person living in a, a detached house in America than, you know, driving a taxi or, or, or pulling a rickshaw in, in India. Mm -hmm. But for most people, they don't see it that way. And, and America, I think, fails to see that, except for landless, disaffected elements within these other countries, their society, their cultural uh, environment 
keeps them there. They don't want to cut loose from all of that just to become more rich. They might envy the wealth of the U.S., but they don't want what comes with it. Right, right. They don't want the trappings that go on with it. And, and so, you know, all of this is a long way around of saying, I do think that, that in the United States, while well, we talk much about cheap talk about Christian nation, never was a Christian nation in a structural sense. But we need to be a nation with, of people with moral sensibilities and exemplify, I think, religious values, which would by definition be uh, Christian by and large. I mean, I'm a Christian. I wish they were all Christian values. Yes. But we need to become a value-oriented society with, with religions that are, that are tied to the transcendent, not to, you know, who can win and who has the most money and so on. Those, those are values that will ultimately destroy us. And, and at the end of the day, as I've tried circuitously to explain, are not necessarily a guaranteed appeal to other countries. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that you use the word trappings there, trappings that came with it. We here in this country should not want the trappings that seems to come with wealth in this country. We should be rejecting the trappings. We should be the kind of person who says, okay, wealth is good, having money is good, but I'm going to protect myself from all the ease and the uh, the trappings that come along with this in this society. It would seem to me it might be easier to be rich in India than it is to be rich in this country. Would I be right in saying that? It might be, yes. Yeah, okay. uh, but you know, let's get philosophical. This program is, is testing the limits in many ways sometimes. <laughs> what makes America rich? I've thought about this a lot. I mean, clearly this is a huge country with a lot of resources, but I don't think that per se is what has made the standard of living very high in the United States. You know, I could pluck one nation out of thin air, Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, as far as income based on the, the reserve that sits under their feet, they've got massive amounts of money doesn't mean that most Saudis live very well. I mean, we, we've got the, uh, the image of the, the wealthy princes that rent a whole floor of the hotel, and there's plenty of those. But most of their population live in third world uh, environment. There's no question about that. And, and you certainly can say that about most other uh, Middle Eastern countries with their oil reserves. Uh, I mean, I better give a disclaimer by way of honesty. Like Iran, the U.S., I think is inclined to think of them as, as sort of desert uh, Bedouins, but you know, in reality, it's it's quite a civilized, uh, even superficially westernized country. But that said, they don't live there anywhere near the, the level that the middle class American lives. Is it because they don't have the innate wealth? I don't think so. I, I'm inclined to think that one of the reasons in the past that the United States and, and England and Australia, for that matter, have enjoyed such high standard of living has to do with a state of mind that derives from a spiritual point of view. Mm. I think the Protestant, they say work ethic, but that's, that demeans it, I think, a bit. But the Protestant life ethic, mm-hmm. which placed a very high premium on, on, on the dignity of man, higher than, than, than the, uh, the church during the Roman Catholic era of the Middle Ages. I think the Protestant ethic of the value of man, of responsibility, of honesty in all dealings, public and private, because the government can't exist efficiently without honesty. Right. Otherwise, you have, like many third world countries, everyone's taking so much money, there's nothing left to run the country. Right. And, and I think all of this largely explains why the U.S. has so far enjoyed an anomalously high uh, standard of living. may not be sustained because we've squandered it both morally mm-hmm. and fiscally. I mean, right now the U.S. has so much debt short of inflating it away, I don't think mathematically it can ever be dealt with. Mm-hmm. 
So we've, we've lived on tomorrow's uh, earnings. Mm. Well, we can go on and on about this, but our time has flown by. Lincoln Steed, sorry. thank you. No, I love it. <laughs> thank you very much for being here and showing us what is on your heart about these issues, and we look forward to more discussions in the future. Thank you, Lincoln. Thank you. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. You've been listening to LifeQuest Liberty. To further explore the issues discussed on today's program, visit www.LibertyMagazine.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of religious freedom burning in your heart today.